Well, good morning. Let's, uh, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time we have to uh, look at ways of praying and look at um, the way your church is, uh, has taught us so that uh, we might get to know you better. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, um, last week we had Magda here presenting on the Spring of Hope Foundation. That's very good stuff. Um, and in two weeks we're going to have um, a fellow from the uh, Church Ministry of the Jewish People, one of the oldest uh, Jewish evangelism um, organizations in the world, will be coming to speak. So for the next two weeks, I have y'all for this class. <laughs> and then after that, there's a couple weeks this month or in September where I'm going to be filling in at St. Francis uh, while Father Stephen is on pilgrimage in Spain. And so I will try to make it back here, but we might start class late those weeks. Um, so we'll see. Okay, so what I wanted to do this week is pick up on our prayer book and devotional life um, uh, series. And I want to start with reviewing what we did last week, uh, or rather two weeks ago, because it was a little haphazard and I apologize for that. So let's, let's impose some organization on that a little bit. So um, one thing we talked about was the history of this discipline of daily prayer, this twice daily prayer. And we see that it has its, its roots in the Old Testament offerings. And what ends up happening is that the Jewish people, um, the Hebrew people start using that devotionally. We see an example of this in the book of Daniel. And then the synagogue picks it up as its regular practice uh, during the exile. So before our Lord's time and kind of in that intertestamental time, it becomes the regular practice of the Jewish people following the precedent set by the Old Testament offerings. One of the things to remember they didn't have was the offerings when they were in the exile, right? There was no temple. It had been destroyed. So um, this was one of the ways they did that. Well, in the New Testament and the early church, they basically just bring that back in. So we have daily corporate prayer, typically twice a day, at the same time as they were doing it in the synagogue. And then we also have this Sunday Eucharist. Now, um, this is just a bit of an aside, but we do see in like the Didache, one of the oldest um, of, of books of, of, the, uh, of the church, it goes back to kind of the end of the first century, that the Christians intentionally chose different um, kind of big days during the week than the Jewish people had set up. And we don't really know why other than I think there was kind of some conflict going on. So they kind of wanted to distance themselves at the time. And that's uh, we don't know how widespread that was, but that's, that's kind of beside the point. OK, and we talked about how that kind of um, evolves into the monastic practice where you had eight offices a day, eight prayer times a day. And these were not necessarily public times. These, the monks would gather together. They might do them in their cells. But this practice of the entire community gathering daily for prayer kind of gets taken over by the monks. So the monks are doing it for everybody. And uh, there we go. Well, um, so then we get to the Reformation time. We have Cranmer's preface. And so I passed you all out a copy of uh, the preface to the 1549 Book of Common Prayer. Um, if you don't have the handouts, please raise your hand and we'll get those to you also. Okay, so this big sheet is Cranmer's preface. So this big sheet is the preface to the 1549 Book of Common Prayer um, that Archbishop Cranmer himself wrote. 
kind of giving uh, the reason. We're not going to read through the whole thing, but um, it's, it's good reading. It's, it's very edifying. Unfortunately, this was not put in our prayer book. I'm not, I don't think the American prayer books included this preface until the 1979 prayer book, um, kind of in the historical section, which is unfortunate because it's a really good read. This version that I have here is the one, is the uh, kind of spelling a little bit modernized that we have from the ACNA, um, and that will be in the preface in the ACNA's new prayer book, from my understanding. So Cranmer first starts about talking of the corruptions that had happened by, by, by the time we get to the 16th century. Um, prayer and scripture were no longer being done systematic. You were skipping all over the place. So you were losing the sense of the scriptures uh, because it wasn't systematic. A lot of times they weren't even reading scriptures. You're reading um, legends, saint stories, things like that, and you're kind of instead of the scriptures. Not a good idea. Um, it was always in Latin. It was not in the vernacular. So even when people were there, they couldn't understand it. Only those that knew Latin could understand it. And frankly, a bunch of the clergy didn't know Latin either. They only, I mean, they could say their prayers, but they didn't know Latin any better than I know Hebrew. I mean, I, can, I, I, I could pray all the prayers in Hebrew, but, but that doesn't, I can't speak it. I, I can't understand it. Um, and it was over complex. It had gotten so bloated with, with practices that um, it was frankly confusing. You needed half a dozen books to, to do your services, that kind of thing. So Cranmer comes up with a solution that we find in the Book of Common Prayer. Um, first of all, we have a systematic reading via his calendar. I don't know why he spelled it with a K, but he does. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's the, his calendar of readings um, is a systematic reading of Scripture. Um, that calendar gets revised a lot over the centuries, um, and, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, he says that it's more patristic in the method. This is the way they did it back in the old days, where they actually read through the Scriptures. And we do have some examples of that uh, because we have um, extant uh, Augustine's and Chrysostom's, in particular, homilies. So we're talking 3rd, 4th, 5th century stuff. Um, I should be more precise than that, I'm sorry. But, uh, but yeah, we have these early, early homilies, and both Augustine and Chrysostom are preaching it through entire books of the Bible in the context of daily prayer. And basically, where they, where they leave off, they pick up the next day. And the reason why we have their homilies isn't because they wrote them out and then preached from them like I might do, but it's because their students kept records of them. They, they, they all took, took notes in shorthand and then uh, published them, passed them around later. Um, we put, uh, the, the Book of Common Prayer puts it in plain English. Now, of course, um, the prayer book for us is not in plain English, but... Uh, <laughs> That was part of what, uh, what, what he wanted. Um, there, there's, though it's not in everyday English, it's really only very recently that we've gotten to the point where that's too difficult to understand. Um, as recently as 50 years ago, um, th th this speaks to a problem in American and general English-speaking education that we... That we um, we can't read Shakespeare and the King James in the prayer book anymore. But that's another, that's another issue for another day. Um, so he puts it in plain English and he simplifies the order. We, we chop it down from six books to one. Everything you need is in this one volume. And then it becomes a unified system. Everybody in England is going to use the same system. So that was what Cranmer 
did uh, to, to kind of fix some of the problems that had crept in over the, cent- over the centuries. So let's talk about these lectionaries, because for, for in our tradition, the purpose, the main purpose of, of the daily offices is for us to get the scriptures through the lectionary. So um, we have in our prayer book, we talked about this two weeks ago, the 1945 lectionary. You'll find this in those early Roman numeral sections in your prayer book, um, uh, say beginning like at Roman numeral uh, 10, I believe. Yes, beginning at Roman numeral 10, and it's divided up for the weekdays based on the Sundays in the church year. So Roman, Roman numeral 10 has on uh, at the beginning the first Sunday in, Ad, in Advent, and then it has a choice of readings for Sunday. And then in Monday, it begins with Isaiah 1. Um, Tuesday, it has some more of Isaiah 1 for the Old Testament. Wednesday, continues with Isaiah 2. In the New Testament, they have Mark 1. Um, in the in the New Testament lesson, you go to the next page. You have the evening prayer readings. You'll notice in the Old Testament where we left off at evening prayer, we pick up again. Uh, so Isaiah one one through nine on Monday, Isaiah one ten through twenty um, for the evening prayer. But the New Testament's a separate track. Sometimes in the 1945 lectionary, they do it like that, where it kind of continues from evening to morning. Other times, the Old Testament is different from morning and evening. I don't know why they did it that way. Uh, The problem with the 1945 lectionary is you have a lot less scripture. Ten verses for the Old Testament? You're not going to get through the Bible that way. You know, you do do 20 verses a day, that's not going to get you through the Bible in a year. And the fact that it's based on the church year also hurts the issue. Uh, you, th- that sixth Sunday in Epiphany, that only shows up once every 25, 30 years. What are you going to assign to that week that you're only going to read once every 25 to 30 years? You know, that's a problem. Uh, and and this, this, is really, this is really a picture of some of what happened with the lectionaries as the prayer book continued. Every time they revised the lectionary, you had less scripture. Every time they revised the lectionary, um, it seems kind of cultural mores creep in more and more. It's a problem. Um, uh, Yeah, so so that's, that's, that's what happens in the 1945 lectionary. However... It does put things in the context of the church year. Some people really prefer that. You know, these, the, uh, it, it's, it should tie in with what's going on seasonally. These Isaiah readings are talking about the coming of the Messiah during Advent, for example. Um, in Revelation, talking, uh, building up to his coming again, that sort of thing. These two emphases we see in, um, in the church year. Um, as good as that is, I find it frustrating. I, I found this lectionary incredibly frustrating because it does skip around the scriptures. It does cut so much out, and we end up basically back what Cranmer was saying before, uh, before his day. So what I passed out was what we've been using in our parish. Uh, we were experimenting with it this year. This pops up um, in an edition of the North American Anglican, full disclosure. I write for them um, from time to time these days. <laughs> I'm on their podcast now. So uh, these, these, are, these are my people. They weren't back in 2008, but they are now. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was too wet behind the ears back then. They didn't know who I was. Um, 
Although if you, the very last print edition they did, it's all online now, but the very last print edition has some um, music I did for the offices. It's pretty cool. But um, this was proposed by uh, Father Michael Fry, a Cana priest, in the, um, in the two, 2008, one of their editions of the North American Anglican. And what he does is we, he takes it back to the civil year like, like Archbishop Cranmer originally had it. And the reason for that is you don't have that problem of what are you going to put on the sixth Sunday of Epiphany? You know, that kind of thing. So it's attached to the civil year. Um, It includes all of Scripture. This is the first time that ever shows up, by the way, (laughs) unfortunately. Even Cranmer's didn't have all of it. It includes all of Scripture and a little bit of the Apocrypha, uh, especially during right right before before, uh, the new year. And he does something I thought was very clever. The morning prayer and evening prayer readings are completely independent so that if you need to, you can make it, instead of morning and evening, you make it year one and year two. Um, That can be very helpful if you're not used to reading that much scripture as you're building up the discipline. So if you look on, I passed you out September for 2018. Um, We're in the middle of 2 Samuel for the Old Testament, right? We're in the middle of Luke for the New Testament. Well, if you turn on to the back, you have evening prayer, and we're finishing up Jeremiah, then we go into Obadiah and Ezekiel for the Old Testament, uh, and then we're in a bunch of the different epistles in the New Testament. The way that this one gets set up is you go through the New Testament once in the morning and once in the evening every year, and the Old Testament is broken up between the the two times. So you go through the Old Testament once through the whole year, but the New Testament twice, once in the morning and once in the evening. So uh, one thing that you could do uh, if, if, if uh, getting all the readings in is, is difficult, you can basically just choose the Old Testament for one of those daily offices and you'll still get the whole Bible every year. So that's pretty, that's pretty neat. Um, so this was something that, uh, that has been passed up to the various bishops and I think they did they did consider it when they were building up the ACNA's lectionary. We have the third draft of it is what's on their site now. Um, It is back to the civil year. That was really good. Originally, it wasn't. It does have most of the scripture, but not all of the scripture. That's that's disappointing, but it's better than it has been in a long time. (laughs) Uh, Basically, what they do is they combine um, Chronicles and Kings into one kind of unified narrative because those kind of overlap in the stories. And there's some parts where we get into the minutia of the Torah that they, that they skip over. That, that's really the big things they, they do. Um, I wish they wouldn't have done it that way, but it's better than it has been in a long, long time. And they do include some of the Apocrypha as well. Um, my biggest complaint with it is, if you can't fit all of Scripture, why are you including some of the Apocrypha? I mean, that's, that's, that's a problem. And I've told this to the bishops, and my bishop, our bishop agrees with me. <laughs> but he, he has a voice in that, but, and, a, and a vote, but he doesn't get to make that decision. Um, I mean, that, that's one of the things that happens in, in the bishops and council. The best thing about the, propo- the, the current version of the proposed ACNA lectionary is that it goes back to the monthly Psalter cycle, the way that Cranmer originally did it. We talked about that two weeks ago, but let's just review that. And I'm sorry that we're covering stuff that we did two weeks ago, but again, two weeks ago it was, it was so um, uh, sparse that uh, 
it, it was a little haphazard, so this is, this is a bit more ordered. Um, and the ACNA electionary does do that one or two year option, just like this proposed one that we're using here in the parish does. So it's, it's, it's pretty good. It, it's not perfect, but it's pretty good. Nothing's perfect, but it's pretty good. Okay, so let's talk about the Psalter. Yes. Okay, so um, in the, the, the question is what parts of the Apocrypha were in there? Um, in, the, in the one that we have, the proposed one, it's mostly uh, the Book of Maccabees during December of, um, I forget whether it's the morning or evening, kind of to give a background for the New Testament. So that's why that's what happens in, in our proposed one. Um, I don't think really that's the best choice from the Apocrypha. I mean, that's nice historical stuff, but it's not the most edifying stuff in there. Uh, the ACNA one actually, I think, has better choices. They're using um, uh, the Book of Sirach and the Book of Wisdom are mostly what they're using. And those are both very, very edifying uh, uh, texts. Um, they, I mean, they get quoted from all over the place in, um, by the Reformers and by the Fathers. So those are really good. Um, does everybody understand what the Apocrypha is? Is anybody not, 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 not familiar with that term before we move on to the Psalms? Okay, we have, we have a couple hands. So... Um, the Apocrypha were, um, back in about the 4th century BC, uh, the, the Greeks are kind of in charge of the world. Um, Alexander the Great has conquered the world, pretty much, and when he, when his kingdom fell, he split it between his three generals, and these generals are in charge of where all the Jewish people live, these, these new kings of the kind of the split Greek empire. Well, they wanted to have all the wisdom of everybody that, they were, that was under their rule in Greek. So they commissioned some of these rabbis to translate the Hebrew scriptures into Greek. Um, this gets the Septuagint, is what we call it, meaning 70, because the legend was that said they had 70 people on a translation team and they all agreed completely. That's probably... A legend, but uh, but you know, but but the name sticks. It's the it's the LXX, the uh, the Septuagint for the seventy two translators. Um, for whatever reason, in the Septuagint, we have included some other books that were not in the Hebrew canon. Uh, we don't really know why that is. Some of them we have since discovered did have some Hebrew antecedents, but most of them did not. Most of them only existed among the Greek-speaking Jewish community. And this translation project doesn't all happen at once. It kind of is develops over, I mean, the Torah happens all in, in about, you know, the, third, the fourth century BC. But over the next two, three hundred years, they get the rest of the books translated. Some of them are better translations than others. But by the first century, we really have um, two major collections of the Hebrew scriptures. Uh, that the Jewish people are using. The Greek-speaking Jews are using the Septuagint. We don't really know what the status of these other books were for them. Um, there's conflicting historical data on that, so we don't really know. Um, the fact that they were in the collection suggests that the Greek-speaking Jews may have considered them scripture. However, um, some of the Greek-speaking writers of the time, such as Josephus and, um, oh gosh, what's his name? Oh, he's a philosopher. He's in Alexandria. Um, I, uh, he's, he's super important in that, in that world. His name slips on my mind. I'll, it'll come to me eventually. Um, 
but, but, but he, he, these two guys never quote from the Apocrypha, and they actually specifically have some things to say against some of these writings. Um, so uh, that's, that lends it against it. So we, we don't really know. But then we do have coming out of Babylon, the, Pharise- the Pharisees tradition, which is basically our Hebrew canon, the, the, the Protestant Old Testament. The, Christian, the, the, the Christians never really settle on what they're going to do with the Old Testament until the time of the Reformation. You have different places do different things in the Christian church. The New Testament canon is universal by about the 4th century, but the Old Testament canon is just not really dealt with until it comes to a head at the time of the Reformation. And so what ends up happening at the time of the Reformation is that the Protestants, including the Church of England, all basically take the position of St. Jerome, who was the first one to translate the scriptures into Latin back in the 4th century AD. And Jerome said, these books are edifying, but they're not scripture. They're not canonical. And in Jerome's mind, the difference was you don't make doctrine from these books, but they're edifying, so they're fine to read. Matter of fact, they're encouraged to be read. You know, if you have a line here that says this is the canon of scripture, they're right underneath the line. Okay? Uh, Bob? Jesus spoke Aramaic, right? Uh, most likely. He was, Jesus was probably trilingual. Most people were at the time. So no, there are no scriptures extant in Aramaic? Um... We'll, we'll talk about the Aramaic in just a bit, actually. We'll talk about that in just a bit. Um, that, that's a good question. A, a, a bit of a rabbit trail, but this is a good rabbit trail to have. Um, so the, um, yeah, so some of the church, uh, so, so the Protestants take St. Jerome's view. Uh, the Roman Catholics basically take Augustine's view, which has all these, um, the, the, these books included that we would call the Apocrypha just mixed in with it. But they also have some other stuff that weren't in the Septuagint that kind of flowed in later, such as 3rd uh, and 4th Maccabees. Um, the, no, I'm sorry. No, they don't. No, they don't. The Roman Catholic student. I'm sorry. I'm getting, I'm getting ahead of myself. About that same time, the Eastern Orthodox just take the Septuagint um, completely, which, which is all of our Apocrypha included in theirs. Although the Orthodox would say they are the least inspired of the canon. So they, they, so we in the Orthodox just have a line in a different place. You know, our line is up here and then the Apocrypha is just below the line. Their line is down here and the Apocrypha is just above the line. Um, so, so they would consider it the least inspired of the inspired scriptures. The Roman Catholics make no difference. And there are some books that are in the Septuagint that the Roman Catholics do not have, such as 3rd and 4th Maccabees. I was, I was getting, getting confused there. So what the, what, the, what the Protestant churches did was they just had them as an appendix, and they published them with the Bible anyway. But they would use them in their, in their, in their public readings from time to time. And in fact, um, two of our morning prayer canticles are from the Apocrypha. Okay, Bob asked about Aramaic. Um, we do have a separate tradition from some of the... Um, Oriental Orthodox, the non-Chalcedonian Orthodox, who do use the uh, an early Aramaic translation. Um, this is most most common in the Ethiopian Orthodox, and this is uh, the, the Aramaic is is the Peshitta. It's, it's technically it's Syriac, but Syriac is just a dialect of Aramaic. Um, most scholars are pretty sure, though, that the Peshitta was a translation from the Greek. And, um, and 
we do have groups of Christians that use Aramaic for their prayer language, for their, their liturgical language, the, the, Chaldean, the Chaldean Catholics. Um, a lot of the, the Orthodox in the Middle East do use that, um, although it's written with Arabic script, not Hebrew script, the way that it was among the Jews in Jesus' day. Um, and, and theirs is pretty much the, the, the Greek version of the Old Testament, just translated into Aramaic as well. Okay, so that's, that's the Apocrypha. Um, we, we consider it edifying, but not, not canonical. And the main difference is we don't make doctrine from the Apocrypha. It's, it's fine to illustrate doctrine. It's fine to be edifying. But if it's a doctrine that can't be found in the canonical scriptures, we, have to, we, we, we don't, we don't um, accept it. Um, and and that's, that's something that is specified in the 39 articles, which are in the back of your prayer book. We'll get to those eventually. So the Psalter, for the, for the monks, let's get back to the Psalter. Reciting the Psalms is really the rationale for the office. That's why they're doing it, so they can sing the Psalms. Uh, what we did, what, what Archbishop Cranmer does is he um, breaks that down to a monthly cycle. The monks never really had a unified version of doing this. Some monks did it every day, some did it every week, some did it every month, some were totally haphazard, but this was the, this was the, um, the rationale for the monks. Um, Cranmer does a monthly cycle. The uh, version that we have um, from that, that, that North American Anglican cycle is also has the monthly cycle. The way that it was originally published did not. It ran through it about five, about two or three times a year, but it, but it wasn't um, it wasn't the whole monthly. And the ACNA one has gone back to the monthly cycle. Uh, the 1945 one, it's thematic and it specifically cut some. Uh, part of the rationale for the 45 lectionary was we do not want to pray some of these psalms. Because some of the psalms are, um, you know, have some condemnations in them, right? You know, and, and so part of it was we don't think that should be done as part of our public prayer service. So they just cut them out. Um, I, I think that's, that's a problem. I mean, that, that's, that shows some of the messy thinking that it had gotten into our church in, that early, in the early 20th century already. Okay, um, I'm going to stop it there before I get to the next section. Um, so we'll pick up next time on here. Any other questions? This is, there's there's going to be a lot of stuff uh, uh, that, we, that we cover here. So any, any, any other questions? No questions? Okay. In, in, any, any, other, any other commentaries? <laughs> uh, um, sweet. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. What I passed out was from September. September begins next week. Um, we do have some of August still back there. If if anybody would like the full year's book for 2018, we're we're, we're running running towards an end of 2018. Uh, raise your hand. I can print out more of those. Does anybody want one of those? One, two, three, four, five. Okay. Um, Pam, remind me. <laughs> next week we'll print out about ten of those. We'll put them out on the on the desk, and if they disappear, we'll print more. So, are we in year one or year two? For, um, oh, for this. No, well, well we're, we, we have not really specified at this point. Um, so, so what we've been using with, with this one, we've been using on Friday mornings this. And so we've been using the morning prayer readings, which, which, or year one readings on Friday mornings. 
we've, we've still been using the 1945 on Wednesday evenings because that's been kind of our big official service. And we wanted to try this out before we switched. Next year, we're switching. Um, I'm, 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 as your pastor, I'm tired of the, the shoddy way the 1945 lectionary handles the scriptures. So, I mean, uh, you know, that's, I mean, that's just, that's just the way it is. It's, it's frustrating. Um, okay, um, Delaney. Ah, okay, yeah. <laughs> so we do have some from August still out, out on, the, on the table in the, in, the, in the narthex, but I will print out some of the year-long ones, and every month I do print, print them out and put them there. Um, uh, Jan. Um, um, we, we can look into that. Uh, in terms of the, the, the calendars, the Ordo calendars, our supplier um, really has dropped the ball the last couple of years. And Bob's turned me on to another supplier, um, which is pretty good. And the only thing I didn't like about that one is that it didn't have the colors, which, which was one of the reasons why we liked the old one, was the colors for the sake of the, the, um, uh, the altar guild. Um, we might just have to print our own. So, so we, we might do that. We'll, we'll, uh, in the office, we'll talk about that. Okay, I'm interested. Okay. All right, any, any, any other questions? We are, we are right around 11 o'clock. Okay, thank, thank you guys, and we will, we will get beyond review starting next week. <laughs> I'll see you all in mess. God bless.